Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times we, uh, how you see yourself is how you act. Uh, if you see yourself in a bad light, that's how you're going to act. Second Timothy chapter number two. If you, if you see yourself as doing nothing, you probably won't. I remember, I'll never forget when I was in the Navy and uh, I was a third class petty officer. That's, that's a pretty good bump when you go to the ship and you're a third class petty officer. The problem is that uh, at that time, as part of getting people into certain tech programs, you would go to school, you would come out of boot camp, and you would basically jump a couple pay grades. So you came out of boot camp, and you, you would go from seaman apprentice to seaman. When you graduated your school, you would come out of third class, which is an E4, if, you, if you're keeping track. But I'll never forget talking to this one man, and he was one of the positive thinkers, and uh, talking to him about doing something. I don't remember what. And I said, well, I'm just a third-class petty officer. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, if that's all you ever think, that's all you'll ever be. And uh, that just kind of sunk in. Now, there's a lot more. You can go real crazy with the whole positive thinking, you know, if you, if you dream it, you can be it and all that. And, but, you know, there is something to be said about how you look at yourself, the eyes that you put on yourself, or, or how you tend to act. And here in the Bible... Paul is talking to Timothy here in 2 Timothy. He's talking to Timothy, and Timothy's a young man in the ministry. I don't know how old he was, but he was considered a young man. At one point, Paul tells him, let no man despise thy youth. And uh, Paul's encouraging him, and he's telling him how to be a minister, how to lead. At one point over in 1 Timothy, he tells the qualifications. That's where we get the qualifications for the bishop, for the pastor, and uh, we, get, we get a lot of good doctrine out of it. Now, Timothy's a minister, he's a preacher, but this applies to us too, because we're all ministers in Christ. We're all to give the gospel. It's not just set aside. I mean, we're, like, let's face it, y'all are independent Baptists, whether you admit it or not, and independent Baptists don't have a priesthood. I mean, in some churches, you would think they did. You know, you got the Baptist popes. They're, they're the ones that get offended. He's disrespecting me. He didn't call me brother. And it's, I, I had that happen one time. I said, How, how's Luther doing? Oh, I messed up. I got educated. You know, he said, growing up, if I'd have said, if I'd have said that without saying, brother, my mom would have knocked my teeth out of my mouth. And I was thinking, well, I don't, I don't think much of your mom for that. But the, the term brother for me has always been a term of endearment, not a term of lifting up. You know, Brother Grady, my brother in Christ. And I always wanted to include that when I addressed him out of respect for him. But I, when you start considering it mandatory, it kind of loses that. You know, We're all ministers in Christ. And I know there's a bunch of you out there thinking, yeah, you ain't no better than me. Now, hold on now. <laughs> 
No, but I mean, it's true. But, we're, but by the same token, being brothers and sisters in Christ, we all have the ministry of reconciliation. We all have a responsibility toward others, toward the lost, toward other Christians. Um, God lays it out in the Bible. And I know some of you are getting nervous because we watch Way of the Master and it talked about witnessing. Y'all just hold on now because I'm not, I'm not strapping y'all up. But when you read this passage over here in uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 2, and we're just going to read uh, to verse number 7, and Paul kind of lays out four ways a Christian can view themselves. And if you look at these four ways of viewing yourself, it'll change how you feel about your obligation toward doing things. Because a lot of us are just drifting along in life from one thing to the other. Let the current carry you. Let this and that happen. And just kind of float along from day to day. But when you begin to see yourself in a different light, you begin to have more of a purpose. You know, the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. You know? And... uh, So let's just read this. It says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So the first thing to consider ourselves as is teachers or disciplers. That's the first way to look at yourself. Number three, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So what do you think number two is? As a soldier. I could do like they do on TV. Y'all repeat after me. A soldier. No, don't do it. It's weird. (laughs) Verse number four. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Verse number five. And if a man also strive... For masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Now, you got to know a little bit about other passages, but here you see yourselves as an athlete, as a teacher, as a soldier, and as an athlete. And then verse number six, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. And there's your farmer. And then verse number seven, consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. And that's where we're going to stop, and we're going to kind of jump from there. Well, let's pray. Amen. So, when you look at yourself in these different ways, and, and this sounds like a self-help sermon to me, but it kind of is. We've looked at four different people that come to Christ, right? Or four different people that cry out to God, four different situations they're in. There's the one on the sea. There's the one who's in the dry desert. There's the one who's, who's in, in prison and in bondage and darkness and in bondage. And, and we, we see those and there's the sick and the suffering. But on our side, as far as our walk, we begin to see ourselves in these four different ways. And number one is the teacher. We need to understand And I think most of us do, but we understand that when we come to Christ, we begin to learn things. Do you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember how much you wanted to know? I remember when I first got saved, man, I was starving to death. I was wanting to learn everything I could. 
I was down in Texas City. My parents weren't going to church, but my mom sent me to, uh, to a Bible camp after I got saved. I went to Camp Good News out there in Hitchcock. And man, I had a time. I met a girl and everything. But I know that's spiritual to say, isn't it? That's been my life. But me and that girl memorized the most scriptures of everybody in camp. I don't remember them all. But I did win a picture at the end that a guy did a chalk drawing and sermon with. And it was cool. I don't have it anymore, but it was nice. And I got back home and I was starving to death. And, and I'm looking for something. I'm, I'm just searching everywhere. And even again when I was an adult, because I got away from God, and I've told you all that. But even as an adult, when I got back into church, you're starving to death. You want to learn something. You want knowledge. You, you, you're a Sponge, just waiting for God to pour his word onto you. And you go to the bookstore, man, you go to Books a Million or something like that, and, you know, somehow good doctrine ain't at Books a Million. Books a Million. Good, good doctrine isn't at Barnes and Noble. You get in there and you're looking, a young Christian gets looking, first thing they get assaulted with is, well, I want to get a Bible, and then there's, 200 different versions to choose from. Then the next thing you get assaulted with is, well, I want a book. I, I want to read a book all your life. You read the instruction manual for something, you know. I, need, I want a book to kind of help me so I can learn on my own, so I can kind of learn. And the books that you find are somebody that's putting down the Word of God or they're, they're putting out their own philosophy or, God forbid, they're just drumming up business for their television show or something. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but it's starving to death. So I'm taking you back in time to that point when you wanted to learn. And I'm not saying you don't want to learn now, but I'm taking you back in time to that point. And so when we see a new Christian, we ought to see ourselves as a teacher, as a discipler. And Paul's telling him, he says in verse number two, he says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. This isn't just an oral history. Paul's writing him letters. Paul told him over in, look at over at uh, 1 Timothy chapter number three. Paul says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient. That means not greedy of money. You know, there have been a lot of preachers, priests, or whatever in the past that have done things strictly for money. Held salvation over people's heads so that they could make more money. Held the word of God back, locked it up in a closet so that they could make money off of them, so that they could fleece the flock. God help them when they get to hell. Said, for this is good and acceptable. And uh, went over to the other page. Said, uh, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, he shall how shall he take care of the church of God? So we go back to it. That's just an example of some of the things that Paul taught Timothy. And he taught him in the letters, and he, he taught him in, in the sermons that he preached, and he passed it on, but not just passing it out. You know, Jesus talked about pearls before swine, casting your pearls before the swine. You can spend a lot of time teaching somebody, and it won't do any good. 
you can go through discipleship with somebody, and, you know, we've kind of got a discipleship, but you can go through, spend your time going through discipleship with it, and if they're not faithful people, you're just wasting your time. I'm not telling you to throw people away. I'm just saying he tells them to commit it to faithful men. And this is the true apostolic succession. You ever heard of that term? Apostolic succession? You have the apostles back in the, in the early church, and then somebody that claims to be an apostle today, it was handed down to this apostle, or that apostle made this apostle, made this apostle, all down through history. They can't show you. All they can do is claim it and say that they're an apostle today because apostolic succession, it was handed down, handed down, handed down. But this is the true apostolic succession. The apostles handed it down to faithful men, commit thou to faithful men and women who shall be able to teach others also. So much you've learned in your life walking with Christ. One of the first things you learn as a Christian is that going to church ain't going to be easy. I told Didi, I said, I think the cats have a meeting with the devil. Because as, as much trouble as I have studying, as much trouble as I have selling this brain down, because I'm knuckleheaded, and as soon as I finally get the world set aside and I'm sitting there reading, the cat will come over and roll over on my feet. Now you would think, well, that's a good kitty. And I'm thinking, now I'm thinking about my feet. <laughs> you thinking about what I'm reading. The devil will get in your life in so many ways. He'll hide the socks. He'll hide the kids' shoes. He'll, uh, he'll make the car sound funny. He'll do whatever. But you watch it. You start to listen to a sermon or something, the phone will ring. You start to do something. You've got to push past it. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. If you let the devil win, it's going to happen every time because that's all he needs to do. Those are the things we've learned over time, right? But when you first get saved, somebody doesn't realize that. There's also passing on doctrine. There's passing on Bible truths because they're starving to death, and they're not going to find it just any old place. Consider yourselves a teacher or a discipler. He says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thank God for the faithful men and women who down through history passed it on to others so that as it comes down, we can go back and look. You know, you can read, a, I can read a book from the 1800s, the 1600s. You can read uh, John Bunyan. You can read his books. They'll have, you know, and they'll have just as much impact today because it's the timeless word of God. You can go back and listen to, not listen, you can go back and read Charles Spurgeon's sermons. Man, they're good. And that was back in the late 1800s. You can go back and listen or, or read D.L. Moody. You can read those old books and they're timeless. Commit thou to faithful men who shall, be able to, who shall teach others also. Thank God for them. What about the generations behind us? And uh, verse number three, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I tell you this isn't going to be a deep Bible study this morning. I just want to look at these things. A good soldier. First of all, you got to understand that we're in a Christian warfare. Look at Ephesians chapter number six.
Ephesians chapter number six. Verse number 10. Y'all know this. You know that you know it, but we're still going to go to it because we're looking at ourselves as a soldier. You're putting on glasses and looking at yourselves. It says, finally, my finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Oh, there's that be strong again, right? And that's one thing I forgot to say was that our strength comes from God. It doesn't come from yourself. The source of our strength is always God. You can see yourself as something, but understand the source of the strength in order to be that, it comes from God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And the sooner you understand that, the better. Because there is nothing frustrating like not having a front line to go up to in battle. You know, I, I remember... I keep going back to this, right? I guess you get old enough, you just start remember, remember, remember. I remember in boot camp, I remember going into that trailer and they popped a can. You know what I'm talking about? You go into boot camp and they popped a can. Or or, uh, you walk into that room and they popped a can, that CS gas, they start to release it. And you're in there with your gas mask and buddy, you better hope you made that seal right. But it won't matter here in a couple minutes. Because there's always that idiot that didn't memorize his 11 general orders. And you're always the one that's in there with him. (laughs) And you take that mask off and you lift it above your head. I told you all last week about sitting under the water and four feet of water and thinking, man, there's a lot of good air up there. Mm -hmm. I tell you what, when you take that mask off and that CS gas is penetrating your eyeballs and and you, you got snot raining out of your nose and, and this guy can't, it's hard enough to recite them when you have them memorized, but then the idiot that didn't memorize it got you in there longer because <laughs> you're just, please. And, uh, but you know what I thought while I was in there? I was like, you know, it's one thing to be dodging a bullet. It's another thing for something evil like this to be creeping all over your skin and in your eyes and, and, just pin, and you can't fight it. What kind of cruel somebody comes up with something like that? But, you know, when you fight a spiritual war, it's all around you. It permeates everything. And, you know, it's, they made, Dana Carvey made fun of it, you know. Oh, could it be Satan? Well, the devil, we're in a spiritual warfare, and it's going to come at you from all different angles. When you say, oh, I've got it down, buddy. I got this Christian thing. I got this Christian walk nailed. I am on the trail. Me and God, we are like this. And the devil says, watch this. I'm not going to say that. (laughs) But he said, watch this. And the simplest little thing will begin to trip you up. As soon as you think you're in charge, you no longer are. And you never were. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I got to tell you, I get nervous when I get around somebody that talks about binding up Satan. 
you know, in the name of Jesus. And, and I understand in the name of Jesus, Jesus is the one that does the binding. But I think some people think they're the ones doing it. When they, when they, when they get talking like that, just, don't get mad at me. I'm just saying. When you stand up that bold up against the devil, you know what uh, the, the archangel Michael said? He said, the Lord rebuked thee. He didn't even argue with Satan. I think that was over in Jude. That's not in my notes. But he said, the Lord rebuked thee. Um, but wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. We're talking about being soldiers. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Notice this is spiritual armor. You're not putting on a physical armor. You're putting on girt about your loins girt about with truth. We could go. That's a whole other sermon talking about each piece of armor. But, uh, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, that's doing right. Um, and your feet shod with the, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That shield of faith, you know, the way I picture that. There's, there's some times that somebody I get to arguing and all I can do is throw up a shield of faith. Lord, I trust you. Somebody I get to arguing about, I just whatever. And all you can do is say, Lord, I just, you said it, I believe it, I trust you. And I do that about a lot of things. And you say, oh, well, you're checking your brain at the door. No, I'm just putting my faith in God. Because it's usually, it usually gets borne out when we see creation. The truth usually comes out. But sometimes when you start to waver, you just got to cling to that. Lord, I trust you. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There's only one offensive weapon here. And others point out that all the armor is in the front. It's not in the back. But uh, the one offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, what did he use? Well, Mr. Satan. This, that, the other. No, he just quoted the word of God. And that's why when you think of yourself as a soldier, then you think about putting on your armor. You think about the attack coming at any time. You, you don't, you endure hardness. He says endure hardness as a good soldier. Go back to 2 Timothy. He says thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know, I remember when I was in the Navy and some of you had it harder than me. But there are some things that you endured. You're not your own when you're in the military. <laughs> you're basically bought with a price in some ways. But you're not your own. You don't have a choice about when you can go. I remember how much I treasured those weekends when I would drive the eight hours down to Georgia to spend with Dee and her family. I remember how, how strange it felt, how much I wanted to be a part of her family, you know, like we saw her little sister do a marathon and we're out there on the street and there's all these people and they go home, they go home to their homes. But you know what? Sunday evening, I was on the road back. I had to always keep in mind the Navy owned me. If I got a phone call and said, get back to the ship now, we got to deploy, I better get back there. And you had to keep that in mind. You know, we don't think about that enough as Christians. If the Lord wants us to do something, we ought to be at his beck and call. Endure hardness as a good soldier. You know, the other thing about being a soldier, the food's not always good. The, uh, the, the bed's not always soft, rarely. And 
Or we had some good food, and sometimes, you know, we'd eat over at the Marine Base. But depending on where you were, right? Marines had the good food over in San Diego. When I was on the ship, we were just stuck with it, sloshing around in the... But anyway, um, enduring hardness is a good soldier. You, you know, the soldier, there's inconvenient things, but he doesn't quite worry about that. He just does what he has to do. Y'all seen the pictures this week of the National Guard sleeping on the floor? Everybody was crying about it in an uproar. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. They got a place to go. Man, when you're a soldier, you grab a nap. When they say, you know, just wait here and you can grab a nap, okay. <laughs> we, yeah, we, uh, you keep twisting. <laughs> we, uh, we're, we're pulling into port. We get up at 3 o'clock in the morning for seeing anchor detail. I was on a reserve ship. We were going out every weekend. We'd get up 3 o'clock in the morning, get out there, and we'd lay the lines out on there. And then we didn't have to do anything for another 30 or 45 minutes. And we would go in there and lay on that non-skid. You know what non-skid is? That's that bumpy stuff to keep you from sliding off the ship. We would get around this one piece of equipment over in Sonar. That it was two reels that they would, we'd bring out over the back of the ship and lower it into the water and tow it behind the ship. That was our torpedo countermeasure. You'd hope the torpedo would hunt that instead of you. But you had these big reels and it was a small space and you get in there and one guy would be curled around this side, another guy would be curled around this side until the until Chief came in there and said, hey, let's get going. And you get right up. Endure hardness. You, you, you're, you're not worried about, oh, well, I got to get my seven hours. <laughs> you're glad to get your 20, 20 minutes. You're glad to get your 30 minutes. It's just as I get older, that, that's not enough. And so I know y'all are laughing at me saying, young man. And then the other thing. Well, you know, and this, this is throughout the Bible, but 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's understanding we're here temporary. This world is not our home. We still have to walk in it. We still have to work in it. And we still have to, to live and eat. But this world is not our home. You know, the soldier thinks about home. He remembers home. I remember many a time. I remember having dreams walking around Texas City. And it was, it was different in the dreams, but I'd gone home for a little bit. You know, and as Christians, we're not home yet. We think about home, but we're still here. We think about that home on high, that home in heaven. We think about streets of gold. Streets of gold. We think about walls of jasper those things that are listed out in Revelation. We look forward to that time. But right now we're here. Endure hardness as a good soldier. First uh, John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. First Corinthians 15.58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We know that there's a reward. We know that we get to go home at 120. Philippians 127, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's not just sitting. It's, it's 
working for the Lord. It's being available for the Lord when he calls us up, when, he, when the Holy Spirit nudges you. And encourage, I say encourage, when the Holy Spirit convicts you to do right or to talk to somebody or to do something that he wants you to do, to listen to the Holy Spirit. And then look, uh, so no man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. And then the next point, to see yourself as, you see yourself as a teacher, as a discipler, as passing on. And one more point on that, you know, when you read the book of Joshua and you see the Israelites coming into the promised land, they were the ones that were left after the 40 years, after the other generation had passed on. And this was the faithful generation that went in and took the promised land as God commanded them. And then when you get to the book of Judges, one generation passes and they're already in the mess. They are already worshiping idols. They're already turning to other gods. One generation. If if we don't pass it on, that whole generation. And we're seeing that right now. I think we've had a lot of comfort. I think as a church, the church has been sitting pretty and, and we've had a lot of freedom and we've taken them for granted. And, and we've let things slip. We've let it go. It just, it's happened. There's a constant onslaught. It'll never end. Whether it's about your schools and started in the, okay, I got to be careful here. I'm going to say it anyway, this part. To me, it started in the 60s when it took prayer out of school and then you begin to go downhill and then more and more and more. You know how shocking it was to have the prayer taken out of the school? I mean, for me, in the 80s, still getting up and saying the Pledge of Allegiance, not a problem. And praying, not a problem. Now there's a question. Everywhere you go. And it's happened generation after generation. How many people did not listen to the Holy Spirit? How many people did not stay close to God? How many people sat around comfortable? You know what happens to soldiers when they sit around comfortable? I know, right? If you can't make fun of yourself, everybody else will do it for you. So, <laughs> all right. I got a New Year's resolution. I ain't telling y'all what it is. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Verse number five. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter number nine. Because he only vaguely refers to it here, but over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, he paints a really good picture of being an athlete. And, you know, pictures help us to focus on things. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 24. When you think of an athlete who's at the top of his game, you're looking at somebody who has denied themselves a lot of things in life for a higher purpose. Somebody that's preparing for the Ironman, they, they watch what food they eat. They get up at a certain time. They do the runs. They do the swimming. They do whatever they need to do. They keep their body under guard. They don't sit around with a bag of Cheetos watching movies, in other words. Uh, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery 
is temperate in all things. That word temperate, you know, we don't say it a lot today. Matter of fact, it got worn out during the, before the prohibition. They had the temperance movement about alcohol and all that. But temperance is about everything. It's, it's not just about alcohol. It's about anything. It's, it's, about, it's, it's about controlling yourself. It's about controlling what you eat. It's about controlling how you act. It's about controlling what you feed yourself spiritually. He's temperate in all things. Because, and I tell you what, we're learning. Well, we knew, but we just didn't realize uh, you know, with our daughters, our middle child's problem with, I don't know. Do I go on? Somebody that we know, their family member has some, has some trouble with falling, with getting dizzy and things like that. And, uh, you know, we've just learned recently that a lot of this could be tied to gluten. I, I, I thought gluten was just something hippies kept out of their food, you know, because it's always the, you know, it, I always pictured the flour. Oh, I'm eating non-GMO like that makes you good or something. But we're starting to realize that, that it's gluten has a bad effect on you. And so we start limiting in our diet. All of a sudden you feel better. What you take in, and the point I'm trying to make, I'm not trying to turn you all into flower, love, and peace signs. But the point I'm trying to make is, it's amazing what you take in, how it affects you without you even realizing it. It makes you tired. It makes, you, it makes your, your mind cloud up. How many of y'all dealt with my sermons bouncing all over the place? It's the gluten, y'all. It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but in our spiritual lives, when we begin to take things in, it, it, you know, you begin, you don't watch what you take in like an athlete. You don't think of yourself as an athlete and you just begin digesting everything. You're basically sitting in front of the TV eating Cheetos or whatever. I just go, why are you picking on Cheetos? Well, whatever. It just comes to mind. I don't care what. Bon, huh? Cheetos are gluten-free. Amen. Bonbons or whatever. I don't know. But when you don't watch your intake, it begins to take effect on you. And spiritually, if you don't watch your intake, it'll begin to wear you down. It'll begin to, the darkness will begin to cloud your vision. You know, we're sitting in darkness. God brings a light. We begin starving ourselves of the light. But he said they... Every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He's saying you picture yourselves as an athlete. Look how much they go through. Y'all remember the story of Naaman? 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 You know, he's, he's, all he had to do was wash in the river seven times, and, his servant, and he got mad, and his servant said, if he'd asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? These athletes, they go through all of this day after day, hurting their bodies, sore muscles, everything. They do this for a corruptible crown, a wreath of flowers or a wreath of, of leaves. I forget what it was, but it would rot after a certain time. But we do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. How much more should we be in spiritual shape? And I therefore 
So run, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Disqualifying yourself. Look back over at uh, 2 Timothy. Talking about the athlete. I'm just going to read you a couple other verses. Galatians 5, 7, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Something tripped up the Galatians, and that was uh, saying they needed the law. Philippians 3, 14, I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 13 and 3, 14, those are my life verses. Hebrews 12, 1, wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race which is set before us. Essentially, you say, well, this isn't going to hurt me. You know, that extra biscuit, it won't hurt you. Whatever it is, this show, this isn't going to hurt. I'm, I'm, I'm picking, but, I mean, there's truth to it. You start taking in junk, and it's going to hurt you spiritually. It's going to isolate you. You're, the Word of God is going to close up to you. When you eat right, when you eat the right spiritual things, God begins to open up his word to you. God begins to get your, the reassurances God is right there in your heart. When all the world around you is spinning in a tizzy, you're on that solid foundation of God's word, and you're saying, I understand, God, you got this. I'm just with you on it. said, and if a man also strive for masteries, Verse number five, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. To receive the crown, to strive lawfully. There is no shortcuts. There is no, there is no cut in the corner there so that you can get there first. We have to race this thing the way God laid it out. And then verse number six, the farmer. The husbandman that laboreth must be far, first partaker of the fruits. Let me tell you, this hits me as a preacher. Because the preacher gets up on Sunday and you got to have a sermon every week. Or the other way to look at it, like Didi said, you get to have a sermon every week. Amen? It's how you look at it. But the preacher gets up and if all the preacher does is open up the Bible. I need an outline. I need a sermon. I need an outline. I ain't going to tell you I ain't never done that. Because you got to have something. But look what he says here. He says, The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. It applies to you too. If you're going to help somebody else, you better be helping yourself. You know, the whole thing about the airline. When you're on the airplane and the mask comes down, put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then put it on your child. Doesn't mean that you always look out for yourself, but you have to be able to be in a position to be able to help others. If you're not in that position, how is it any wonder when your kids fall out of line or when, when, when things begin to go awry or when somebody that you love begins to stumble that you thought was doing good? When, if, if you're not first partakers of the fruit. 
So when you're teaching somebody, you can't just shove it at them. But you have to be a partaker of it. You say, well, I'm saved. I've been saved for 40 years. I, uh, I know this Bible backwards and forwards. Well, I tell you, what, it doesn't matter how many times you read the Bible. If you ain't read it this year or if you're, if you're not reading it right now, <laughs> you're going to stumble. I, I am so aware. I am so aware how easy it is to fall. You know, it's no matter of pride. It's a matter of shame. Getting saved at 11 years old and living from 11 to 27 and, and all the baggage that comes with that with not being in church, with not being close to God. I still prayed. I prayed for big decisions. Getting married, I prayed hard about that. Best decision ever made. Best decision God ever made for me was, was marrying Dee Dee. But uh, and there's been other turns. There's been other times God showed me things and finding jobs and things like that. Change your whole life. But you begin to get away from it. You can still fall. Always keep your body under subjection. The farmer, the husbandman, eat from your own field and from your own labor. You get in the word and labor. And when you begin to eat from your own Labor, which means getting the word, God begins to show you things. You have something to share with somebody else. The farmer that gets out in his field and works it every day and gets out there and puts the, puts the fertilizer around and, and works it into the soil and keeps the mealworms off and keeps the bugs off and keeps the, keeps the weeds from choking out the plant. Not only does he have enough for himself, but he's got enough for other people. So, this is all putting on a pair of glasses. You know, we get up in the morning, we'll read our Bible, we'll walk our walk, we'll, we'll walk with the Lord. And there's one more verse before I close this off. But we'll walk with the Lord, but if you don't see yourself as a teacher, you're not sharing it with anybody. If you don't see yourself as a soldier, then you think that everything's got to be a bed of roses and a big with a big pillow top mattress and life's not that way. And when things go bad, you begin to wonder, well, does God even like, yeah, God still loves you. He never promised us suffering. He's, matter of fact, he says, uh, if you suffer, you shall also reign with him. And yea, that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Expect it. He said, if they hate me, they'll hate you also. I mean, it's just written. That doesn't mean you go out and make everybody hate you. Just it's going. If it happens, you just got to understand that's going to happen. There's people that don't like God and they'll instinctively not like you if you're close to them. But it's not you. It's knowing their heart. Um. Paul says, "Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things." And what better conclusion for this? Think about how you look at yourself as a Christian. Are you just floating around in this life? Or do you see yourself as that soldier and there's an objective? Do you see that enemy that's there? Are you prepared to fight him? Do you see yourself as an athlete? And when it comes to sin, are you putting it away from you? Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him that is sin. Man, that's a tough call. That's a tall order. You can get up here and, and just beat you up about all kinds of things, and you'll say, well, I'm not doing that. 
I'm not drinking, I'm not chewing, I'm not smoking, I'm not hanging out with those that are doing. But to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Amen. Every man is convicted in his own heart. God shows you. But his word shows you too. You're not the final arbiter. God's word is. Amen. As she plays.